Stephen uh, mentioned that we're going through a series called uh, That You Might Know through the book of 1 John. Uh, I, I was thinking of something, a story to share with us, but I actually want to start off this uh, message today, share a little bit about my heart with you, because one of the reasons why I chose this book is that it's out of a huge burden on my heart. Um, I've been to this church for some time, but one of my concerns is that as your pastor, I am concerned that many people who are coming through our church do not know or are not certain that they have eternal life. And I cannot think of anything worse than thinking that you believe, but yet you're not sure if you believe, thinking that you have eternal life, but you don't really know you have eternal life. Like the book of 1 John, the word know, K-N-O-W, the word know shows up <coughs> over 35 times in the whole book of, whole letter. And the reason why John wrote it, I, and that's one reason why I'm so drawn to this book, to teach from this book for us the next uh, few, uh, these two months is because I want each one of you to know. Like, I think I have not done my job as your pastor for you to know whether you believe in God or not. And more than that, that you will know that you believe in God. You can be sure of that. That you actually know that how can I tell if I actually put my faith in Jesus? And particularly for those of you who are youth, I'm afraid that many of us, many of you, have put your faith, you think you have put your faith, but you actually have not put your faith, or you put your faith in a faith that is your parents, that is not yours. And I think that would be the, the most tragic thing there is, that you will move on from here, go to college, go to work somewhere else, unsure of your faith. And for some of you, hopefully this will become a breakthrough for you, that you know, that you know for yourself, man, I know that I believe in Jesus. I'm not a perfect Christian by any stretch of the imagination, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that I, though I struggle, I know I put my trust in Jesus. And hopefully for some of you, this might sound, sound harsh, that it might break some of your, 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 your perception about yourself that maybe you are not Christians as you thought you were. Because I've been in church long enough to know that even in a small crowd like this, there are people who claim to be Christians but they were never Christians. Scripture tells Jesus himself said that at the last day there were people who would say, Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus would tell them, I do not know you. And I don't say that to scare you, to guilt trip you. I say that out of a, a love from as a pastor to you, <coughs> as a servant of God to you, that that would not what I want you to walk away from. But instead, hopefully, you realize that you don't have faith in Jesus, but yet now you know how to find your faith, how to put your trust in Jesus, how to know that you have eternal life. And that's why we're going through this. And I hope that it's been helpful for you as we go through the book. And I pray for you every single week that you will have a deeper and deeper understanding. You will know more and know more about your own faith or lack thereof and in turn know where, where and how to grow that faith. Okay? So... <coughs> Just a review again, um, the Gospel of John was written by the same author as the letter of John. We're reading 1 John. You see a number, you don't read the Bible, have never read it before. You see the letter, uh, the number 1, 1 John means there's the first letter of John. There's 2 John and a 3 John, no 4 John, okay? But there is also a book called John. So John is really co confusing. So there's a, a, a book called John, but it's the Gospel of John. 
So the difference between the Gospel of John and the First John letter is that the Gospel of John tells us how to come to know Jesus, how to become a Christian. That's what the Gospel of John is about. You read through the, uh, the book of John, you will know how to receive, how to believe Jesus, how to have faith in Jesus. But First John is not about how. It's about whether. Whether you know you're a Christian or not. That's what First John is all about. Whether you know that you're a Christian or not. Whether you know you have faith in Jesus or not. Um, so that's a large part of what we're going to talk about. Giving you some, John is giving you some tests, some signs to check your heart and check your understanding, check your life which we'll talk about today, what are you really know God? But I, I don't want to kind of skip over the gospel part because just in case some of you here don't know Jesus and want to receive Jesus, I just want to quickly share a verse with you from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. Here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the, the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. There are two things there. One is you need to confess. You need to acknowledge. You need to receive Christ, not just as Savior, but as Master, as Lord. We saying that earlier. He is Lord. Jesus is not so – if you, if some of you here may be exploring the faith, exploring Christianity. Some of you may be like really on the edge of wanting to receive Jesus. Jesus is not just wanting to raise your hand and pray a prayer and buy a ticket to heaven. That is not what he's interested in. Instead, he wanted you to surrender your life to him because he has best plan for you his plan is for you now and for eternity and that's what he wants to do but not only we believe in our hearts but also we need we need to believe we need to confess that we need to acknowledge what he had done on the cross oh we didn't take our cross out today our cross that what he had done on the cross is enough for your sin which ties into last week we talked about sin we talked about god is light the large first portion of First John is about God is light. And last week we talked about if God is light, he is like a mirror. Then when you look at that mirror, what do you do with all the uh, yucky stuff on your face, yucky stuff on your hair? What do you do with the, all the yucky stuff in your life? And we talked about how we, uh, how we deal with sin, how we look at sin, view sin, tells us greatly about whether we're Christian or not. So today we're going to move on to chapter 2. We stopped at verse 2 last week. We're going to continue on verse 3. And John is going to give us three more tests for you to test whether you are a Christian and whether your faith is genuine or not in Christ. And it's going to, we're going to cover two of them today. We're going to cover one more next week. Okay? So just going to give you a roadmap ahead of time. Today, we're going to, there are three tests he's going to come across. The first one is this, a moral test. How you live your life will tell you whether you really believe in Jesus. And that's a moral test. second one is this, is re- relational test. How do you deal with people around you? What do you do? How do you, what do you do to them? How do you view them? That tells you whether you're Christian or not. And the last one is this, is a uh, convictional test. What do you really believe about Jesus? What do you really believe about Jesus in in opposite to the world? We'll tell you whether you're Christian or not. So today we'll cover the first two. Okay, so we read from, uh, Stephen, help us read earlier from chapter 2, verse 3. Again, if you're a Bible, please take them out. Uh, please grab a Bible, swipe your phone, uh, open your app, whatever it takes to get to the Word of God. First John chapter 2, verse 3. This is how we know that we know Him if we keep His commands. The first test that you know that you're a Christian, the first test you know that your faith is real, is out of this word, obedience. 
Do you obey God's commands? Do you actually read it and live it? Do you actually do what it says in there? Do you do what Jesus, supposedly your Lord, your master of your life, tells you to do? Because obedience is what would tell you whether you're real Christian or not. And I'll explain some more. But let me make sure you understand this. Obedience does not earn you salvation. Obedience is not a way to earn salvation, but a way to demonstrate your salvation. So what that means is that, that is, you cannot just be obeying, 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 and then think, think, think that one day you'll get to heaven. Like doing good work is not the way to heaven. But obedience to God's commands actually is a sign, is a reflection, is evidence that you are a Christian. So we're not saying, and John is not saying here that, oh, you need faith and some good works and some good obedience, then you'll get to heaven. No, no, no. It's all faith in Jesus. But if you have faith in Jesus, if you really know him, you will really live out his commands. Here what he's, here's what he says. He says, this is how we know. Against the word no, right? He used it four, almost 30, 35 times. This is how we know that this right there, I want you to circle what that is. How do we know that we know him? This is if we keep his commands. That's what obedience is. Obedience shows us three things here in this passage. Here's the first thing he shows us. He, it shows us that we know Jesus Christ. If you obey God, it shows that you know Jesus Christ. If you remember earlier uh, uh, the, uh, in, in the chapter, verse 1 and 2, the last special last part of 2, Jesus Christ himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. See, when you listen to God, when you obey God, you are actually taking verse 2 seriously. You know what he had done for you. He has sacrificed his life for you. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this, he purchased us, he has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. That's what the cross is about, to create in you a newfound righteousness that is not your own. You become a new person. If you know that, if you know that God is like there's no darkness in him, last week I talked about that, the logic is why would he create bad things, sinful things, dirty things? Creation in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, was all, everything is good that he was created. When Christ died on the cross, he created a, a way for us to reconcile with God. Again, he created us to be holy and blameless. It makes no sense whatsoever than for us to live a, a dirty, sinful life and disobey God when his intent was all along for us to be good, pure, and holy. And so if you really know that, you will live like that. But I have, I'm afraid that many of us, when we think of obedience, we think just okay is okay. Like we think if we just live, eh, I'm a little obedient, it's okay. Like God saved me already. I don't really, I mean, he's not a taskmaster. I mean, I just kind of appease him a little bit. I'll obey here a little bit, sprinkle a little obedience in this area. We're good. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this commercial. I want to show it to you. It's from AT&T. Dr. Francis. Okay, you turn the sound on, please. He's okay. Just Okay. Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. So there are these this series of ads that AT&T AT has been running, talking about, talking about how sometimes just okay is not okay. Just like this surgeon who was not uh, reinstated uh, officially operating on you, 
is not okay, even though it's just okay. And I think a lot of times that's kind of how we deal with obedience. Just okay, just a little bit of obedience, just kind of half obedience is okay. But to God, it is not. I don't want to, I, I, there are many verses in Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. I'll just show you a few. First Samuel chapter 15. Does God take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Look at that. God cares more about you obeying him than to make sacrifices for him. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. God speaking, for I desire faithful love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. James 1.22 in New Testament, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Which is what John is saying in verse 4. When you don't when you don't do what God calls you, here's what he says. The one who says, people, some people in, in John's time were saying, I've come to know Jesus, and yet does not keep his commands. It's a liar. The truth is not in them. Every time when we don't obey God's commands, and we claim to be Christians, we're lying. We're, we're a liar. See, when we obey God, we know God. I'll give you another example. At home, uh, many of you know that we have five kids now. So things need a little tidying up, to say the least. Uh, in the rooms, especially in the toy area. What if one day I tell my kids, every one of you needs to go to your room and clean your room. And they say, okay, Dad, we'll go clean our room. They went in, I hear a noise, and all they're doing is they take out the iPad and go online to Google, cleaning room. They find an article from Time Magazine about cleaning room. They look at a university and says, they're an undergraduate degree to know how to clean your room. They apply for that degree. They got accepted to that degree. They got out of it, wrote a paper about how to clean their room. And five years later, I talked to them, hey, guys, did you guys clean your room? They said, no, Dad, we, we haven't cleaned it, but we look up all these things for you. We know, how, we know theoretically how to clean our room. I'm about to get my PhD in cleaning my room. <laughs> Dad, aren't you happy? Aren't you proud of me? What do you think my response would be? No, I don't need you to do all of that. All I needed to you, you to do is just what? Clean your room. You see, a lot of times that's what we do. As believers, we don't clean our room. We don't obey God because we think, oh, I can just believe in God. But your obedience actually is evidence that you actually know Jesus. That's the first thing. Verse 3 and 4 says that we know Christ when we obey him. Here's number two, what the obedience shows. Obedience shows that we love Christ. We love Christ. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. I'll stop right there. But whoever, whoever anyone who keeps God's commands... It says the love of God is made complete, made whole, made full. Now that phrase, the love of God, is kind of tricky because sometimes in the scripture, it, it goes in one direction. Meaning, God's love is made full in you. But sometimes the scripture uses that phrase a different, a opposite way. is Your love for God is made complete. Now I think it makes sense in both cases in this verse. But I think the sense is more about our love for God is made complete. It's almost like when you obey God. When there's obedience to show for your faith, you actually, your love for God is proven right, proven real, proven genuine. That you're not just saying that you love God, you're not saying that you know God, but that your, your life shows that you actually love God. And I think this, is, this second point is what separates you as a believer 
from Satan. Because there's no one who knows God better than, than Satan. Satan's understanding theology about God is so much greater than your theology and my understanding about God. But you see, he knows God, but he doesn't love God. See, that's why he doesn't obey. When, if he loves God, he would have obeyed God. But here's the problem for, for, for Satan. There, he, he only knows about him. He doesn't love him. Obedience is really, really hard without love. See, most of us do things out of three reasons. One is this. We do things because we have to. For example, tomorrow you have a test. You have to get, finish your homework and study your test. Guess what? Tonight after church, what are you going to do? Go home and study. There's also, you have to, also you need to. If you don't study tonight, your parents are going to get on your case, so you need to study. But there's also one reason why we do things. Not only we have to, we need to, but because we want to. Obedience out of love for God needs to be in that third category. That we need to, uh, we, we want to love God. I obey God because I want to love God. Because without love for God, obedience is hard. You know why it's hard? Because obedience costs you something. Obedience is inconvenience. Obedience is against everything that you want, oftentimes. And so if you don't have a love for God, if you don't really love God and know God, you would not want to obey Him. Which is why Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Probably what John had in mind as he's writing chapter 2 is this. John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then you go fast forward a couple of chapters later in First John chapter 5. How do you know that someone loves God? What does the love of God look like? You often wonder. People ask like, oh, how do I show love to God? Here's what it says. doesn't take, a, take, a, take someone to interpret this for you. It says this. For this is what love for God is. How do we love God? To keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. I've shared this story before when I was in second grade. I was a terrible kid in first grade. But second grade, this teacher really changed my life. uh, Because she actually believed that I'm not that bad of a kid. And she let me know. And so there's nothing that year in my second grade I would not do for that teacher. If she said, I'm going to give you 50 pages of homework, yes, bring it to me. I'll do them. He tells me to pay attention. I'll pay attention. I appreciate her. I, I love her, not, not in a romantic sense, but I, I love what she had done for me. I appreciate her so much that whatever she commands me to do, I would have done. And in that same way, when, when we obey God out of love, that is a sign that we actually know God. Because I guarantee you, none of us can obey God on our own unless there is true love for God. And and how do we get true love for God? We need to first love by God. If we felt loved by God, we in turn respond in love for God, then we will obey God. You see that logic? You see that sequence right there? If you don't have love for God, you will never obey. That's because we never have the love from God. Here's number three, what, what obedience shows us, how the obedience shows us that, that, that we, we, is evidence of our, our faith in God. So the third one is this, it shows us that, <coughs> obedience shows us that we are in Christ. We're in Christ. We are remaining, abiding, is the word that Jesus used in John chapter 15. We are joined together. Which is, by the way, in, 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 uh, in a lot of weddings, people, uh, people read the passage to become one. 
It's just one flesh idea that as Christians, we're the bride of Christ. We're linked together. We're connected with Christ. There's no, like, this is Christ. This is us. We're one together. And here's what, it doesn't mean that we're God, though, okay? We're, we're one together with Christ. It doesn't make us God, but that with this communion relationship with God. Verse 5, here's what it says. This is how we know we're in it. How do we know? Again, how do we know that we're in Jesus? Verse 6 answer. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. See, when we are walking, when we're living like Jesus, we are, there's a sign and evidence that we are part of God. John chapter 15, again, I quoted earlier, famous chapter about abiding, the fruit, the vine needs to abide, uh, the branches and the vine need to abide. Uh, I see that at my house all the time. When people spend time together for, for a period of time, they end up sounding like each other and doing things like one another. Like think about the friends that you hang out with, people you talk to. Especially married couple knows that. After a while you got married, you start doing and talking like the same. And I see that at home a, a lot because uh, with two kids coming into our house now, I notice that the lingo, the language that they use, if one kid starts saying it, all five kids start saying it. So some of you guys hanging out at our house before for, for homegrown or various occasions, uh, our kids start saying, chill, chill. So my youngest one, everything is chill, chill. Even when I'm yelling at him, Dad, chill, chill. I'm like, you chill. <laughs> right? So they just absorb and just learn. They're just part of what, that's what they do. And, and by the way, my kids start hanging out with some of you guys. And I found them start saying things like you guys. For example, I found them saying this, this phrase, OP, a lot. At my house, for those of you who are gamers, you know what that means, right? So my kids would just say, they look at something and say, oh, that's OP. See, they hang out with you a lot. They kept joining with you guys a lot. They start rubbing things off of one another. You see, how you live your life, your character, your thoughts, if you are close with Christ, you're rubbing against one another with Christ, it got to rub off on you. But here's the question, when you don't. See, John is not saying, here's two phrases I want, to get, I want you to remember. John is not saying holy perfection. He's not saying that you need to be perfectly obedient to me at all times. And we established that last week. You can't. You cannot. That's why he said he commands us to confess our sins. He's not after holy perfection. More, more so, he's after holy progression. Is there, are you progressing to be like Christ? Is there a pattern of your life that you actually feel bad at when you don't obey Jesus and you actually want to do something about it? That is a big difference. See, people can feel bad about the sins that they've committed but not wanting to be better like Jesus. And that's what Jesus is after. He's after holy progression, the holy perfection. And when our life consistently, our thoughts consistently show that we're not like Jesus... Guess what? That's probably telling us something that maybe we're not in Christ as much as we thought we are. Here's the application I want to give you. <coughs> the application is this. Obedience always has a what, a who, and a when. Obedience always has a what, a when, and a who. doesn't matter the order. I think I put what, who, and when. Let me explain what that means. See, many of us, when we read the Word of God, I think the favorite phrase, including myself, is this. Man, this verse reminds me of. Man, this verse 
reminds me how good God is. This verse reminds me God's grace. And that's awesome. But you see, God is not after good knowledge, a good reminder. He's after changed life. He's after obedience. John 14, 20, whoever loves me obeys my commands. And see, obedience always show up and you need to answer the question, what are you obeying? So when you read this word, which by the way, you need to read this word or else you cannot obey. What do you need to obey? And not just, and, and it has to be concrete, specific action that you need to obey. And also it needs to be a who. What are you going to do too? What are you going to do? What is God asking you to do? And who is he asking you to do it to? And here's the last one. What are you going to do that? A wise leader once told me, a delay obedience is no obedience at all. God will never ask you to obey later. Which was one reason why I was really encouraged by those who are getting baptized. Because every fiber of their being, there are every reason why not to get baptized. And yet they are pushing through to obey Jesus in spite of their some of the insecurity, fear, whatever it is. That they chose to get baptized at a certain time. And the action to what is to get baptized, to who is at our church. And third is when is they're going to do baptize the time that we're designated to at this church in April. And that is obedience that you would know if you obeyed. And I want to challenge you. If you are a believer, if you claim to be a believer this week, whatever you read, try this out for size. Your obedience needs to have a when, needs to have a who, needs to have a why, uh, needs to have a, ha, uh, a, <coughs> a what. And that's when you know if you really obey God. Because that's the evidence. Here's the next one. Second test. Is a relational test. Not only do we need to obey, and John kind of zoom in on one particular commandment. One particular commandment. Because all the verses we covered before, commands is in plural. But if you start going to verse 7, the command becomes singular. There is one command that Jesus is asking us to obey. Not above everything else, but this command covers everything else. In verse 7, here's what it says. The relational test is this, to love others to love one another verse 7 dear friends i'm not writing you a new command but an old command that you have had from the beginning the old command is the word you have heard yet i am writing you a new command which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining none of it talks about what that command is all it says is there's old command there's new command and john in his very confusing ways that i'm not teaching you an old command. I'm teaching you a new command, but actually that new command is also old command. So which one is it? Old or new? And if you continue to read that, which we, we will later on, the context is telling us that command is to love others. It's to love one another. Because you go on, here's what he says. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. But the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. And there is no cause of stumbling in him. See, loving one another has been from the beginning. That is a command of God. You can go to the Old Testament. That is what it's all about. Loving God, loving others. Which Jesus quoted in the New Testament. Aside from these two commands, there's no greater commands. So what makes it so new? What makes loving others new? What makes it new is because of Jesus. Jesus himself showed up on earth. Became, become a, a man living on earth, dying for you and me. That's what makes love 
so different. Loving one another is no longer just a saying. It's no longer just a, a conditional command that we kind of do but not do. Loving one another all of a sudden takes on a new meaning because of Jesus. Because Jesus demonstrated that by dying for sinners, enemies, people who live in darkness like you and I. And so now Jesus said, that's the new command. I give you love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So how do we love one another? We need to love one another just like Jesus. We need to love other people so that we will, even our enemies, even those people whom we don't like, even those people who will betray us. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. And that's the command Jesus that you need. If you are a believer, if you really live in the light, that is the command that I've given you. But if you do that, that will show that you are my disciples. Here's what love one another shows us. Here's the first thing. Loving one another shows us that we're walking in the light. That we're not stumbling, fumbling around. Verse 10, the one who loves his brothers and sisters remains in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Why would you love one another? You will only love one another if you're convinced that Jesus loved you. I kind of liken this is in the middle of the night. How many of you go to bed with all lights off? You turn off all the lights. Complete darkness. Right? I do that. We have a little light there, but it's not that much. But what happened is if you wake up in the middle of the night when it's completely dark, and you, you have kids that have the toys on the ground, you wake up and turn over and walk right onto that, you will do what it says here. You will stumble. And you'll get mad. You might get cut. You might fall. Why? Because you're in darkness. But let's just say I turn on that light. I immediately see what is ahead of me. Immediately catch what is ahead of me. I can avoid stumbling. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what John is saying here. That when we are really walking in the light, when we, we love one another because we have seen now. We're not walking in darkness anymore, which leads to the next one. Not only that we're showing that we're walking in the light, we're not blinded by Satan. That you're not being blinded, you're not walking in dark. You're not only walking in darkness, but you're walking with a blindfold on. And if that is the case, if you're not loving people, John says this in verse, verse 11, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness, walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Satan has blinded his eyes. Satan has blinded our eyes. That's why we walk in darkness. That's why we, we, want, to, we want to take revenge. That's why we have bad thoughts. That's why we'll do evil things against people, even whether outwardly or inwardly. But those of us who walk in the light, our blindfold has been taken away. There is no excuse for it. Yes, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we slip. We get to confess to the Lord and we can walk in the light again. And so how you love other people matters a whole lot. I want to share a story with you. 1993 in October, uh, many of you were not born. Um, in the Live Magazine, there is a picture. I don't have it here. There's a picture of a boy playing flute. If you look carefully at that picture, there were two empty spots in his eyes. There are two sockets in his eyes because there are no eyeballs in his eyes. See, that guy, that, that little kid was from Colombia. His mom took him to the hospital when he was 10 years old because he has this serious uh, diarrhea going on in his, in his body. So his mom took him to the hospital. 
she, she went home, coming back the next day to visit him again. But when she showed up the next day, her his eyes were bandaged. There were dry blood all over his face. And then the doctor – and then the mom was – obviously nervous and and, and and in panic and asked the doctor what happened. And the doctor told him, your, your son is dying. What do you think is, is going on? So that mom took that son to another hospital immediately. And then when they show up to another hospital, the doctor gave him this horrifying news. And he told her, someone had took away your, your son's eyeballs and took it away because there are people who are stealing organs in Colombia. You see, cornea is very, very uh, lucrative money. A good pair of eyes, people can can use, can sell it in the black market, and they can, in exchange, get a lot of money to get a good pair of cornea repairing and, and transplant. And that's what happened to that little boy. His eyes were stolen from him, literally. I share that story because I think Satan has done the same thing with all of us. When left alone, we have no eyes. He is the prince of darkness for a reason. He wants to take your eyes away from God and my eyes away from God. So we remain in darkness, walk in darkness. So that we cannot see the need of others around us. So that we don't want to see and meet the needs of others around us. So that we don't have to look look past the sins of other people and show love to them. But yeah, that's what Jesus said. The real test of whether you know him or not, your faith is real or not, is because all of a sudden you have eyes to see. You can see Jesus' love for you, and you can now see your love to, toward other people. I want to end on this application for you. If loving one another is important, then we learned already obedience is important. Here's what I want to share with you. How do we love one another? Hebrews 10, 24, 25. <coughs> Let's read it together. One, two, three. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Three things I want you guys to do, um, and, and particularly those of us who are believers. I want to encourage you to demonstrate love for other people concretely. Here's the first one. Out of, the, out of this first three things. First one is this. Tune up. Just like a car, just like any tool, any, any machines need a tune-up. We all need a tune-up. The first part of this verse says this. Let us, as believers, watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Help each other to do good works. Challenge each other. Another version says spur one another, stimulate one another. Let's not gather and make ourselves feel better about, about just doing nothing. Let's be the hands and feet of this world, for this world. Hands and feet of God in this world, and we got to challenge one another to do that. Because naturally, none of us want to do that. No one wants to reach out. No one wants to be the hands and feet for Jesus on our own, but let's tune up and let's do that. And you can do that by serving at church. You can serve like, like some of our people doing here, welcome team, AV team, set up, clean up, serve dinner. Bring snacks in your small group. There are various ways you can do this in serving one another, loving one another, pointing each other toward Christ and growing. So I want to challenge you. If you are a believer and you're coming to our church and you're not serving in any capacity, I want to encourage you to find a way. If you, you're like, Ben, I cannot find any way to, to, to serve. You come up with something and talk to me. We'll make it happen. Okay, you want to bring Boba for everybody here every week? Do that. Right? So whatever that you need to do, we need to tune up. Okay, here's number two. The verse says we need to show up. 
You can't tune up. You can't bless. You can't serve one another without what? First showing up. Here's verse 25. Not neglecting to gather together. Here's the important part. As some are in the habit of doing. It is a lot easier to make a habit of not showing up than to make a habit of showing up. You know that at school. You know that at work. You know that in every commitment there is, it is easier to do that when not showing up. You got to show up because you all have friends here that didn't show up here because you didn't show up here. So you think that you, you don't, you, your, 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 you showing up here doesn't change anybody? I will tell you, for every one of you here, there is someone who is always thinking, oh, if this person show up, I'll show up. And if this person comes to church, I'll go to church. Is that the best reason I'm coming to church? No. But it does affect other people. There are people that are waiting for, oh, I wish so-and-so can show up. And after a while, you don't show up, they don't show up. So let's encourage one another. Loving one another means we're going to show up, we're going to reach out to one another. Here's the last one. Speaking up. Speaking up. we got to speak up for one another and to one another. Last part of that verse, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why speak up? Because we need to encourage one another. We got to learn to speak up to one another. Don't just come through the door and just sit and walk out the door. Let's get into each other's lives. Let's encourage each other when someone is struggling. Let's pray for one another. Don't say, I'll pray for you. Pray for them now. In your small group, contribute. Encourage. I want to, get, I want to end on this, uh, these, uh, these four letters for you. I learned that from someone named Dave Ferguson. He's a pastor in a, in a church in Chicago. Uh, it's I see in you. And I want you to remember this because this will, be help, this will help you to learn how to encourage one another. I see in you. Bottom, I see in you. Okay, that's where the acronym, not acronym, but help you to remember, I see in you. Basically, what he was encouraging people to do is all you do, all you start doing is this. When you look at people, when you come to church, when you see someone struggling, when you see someone doing things well, encourage them. Hey, I see in you. Hey, I see that you're doing, you're serving dinner early. I Say to these guys, how many of us have come up to these guys day, week in and week out and encourage them, thanks for serving. Man, thanks for, thanks for moving the, the slide. Thanks for doing the sound. People who are putting chairs away. That's a, e, 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 that's a great, easy way for us to encourage. I'm not saying stopping there, but that's a good way. You need to start seeing before you can encourage. You know, maybe someone had blessed you and your small group earlier said something that's really meaningful to you. Maybe you need, just need to say, don't just hide in your heart and say, I'll thank God for them later. That person might need that encouragement today. So if we're not going to learn to love one another, then perhaps Jesus said we don't know his love as much as we do. And we consistently do not show love to other people. Perhaps our faith is not genuine as we thought it would be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love for us that we know we cannot be obedient on our own. We know that we can love on our own. And for many people who don't know you, God, I pray that we can be such radically obedient people, such radically loving people that while they might sit and be callous to your word, but they cannot shake the fact and the reality that, God, you love them through believers like us. That we will demonstrate such good life that will cause them to ask questions, that will love them so dearly that the world cannot offer that type of love to them. 
So God, I pray that we will be the real gospel, the real deal for the, for the, for the world who's looking for love, for a real deal for the world who's looking for hope. Because that's how we can show that we're your disciples, we're your people, we're your believers when we become obedient and loving. So Father, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.